Our Old Testament reading this morning is from Isaiah. It's in the 49th chapter. And interestingly, uh, as you hear these verses, they, they may sound a bit familiar to you because they are uh, sort of a paraphrase of uh, prophecies that occur elsewhere in the book of Isaiah. And as my uh, seminary professor who had a PhD in Old Testament would say, if, uh, if scripture uh, brings something up uh, repeatedly, that m- means it's probably kind of important and you should pay attention to it. So I invite you to listen to these words from Isaiah 49, where it is written, Thus saith the Lord, In an acceptable time I have heard you, and in the day of salvation I have helped you. I will preserve you and give you as a covenant to the people to restore the earth, to cause them to inherit the desolate heritages, that you may say to the prisoners, Go forth. To those who are in darkness, show yourselves. They shall feed along the roads, and their pastures shall be on all desolate heights. They shall neither hunger nor thirst, neither heat nor sun shall strike them. For he who has mercy on them will lead them. Even by the springs of water he will guide them. I will make each of my mountains a road, and my highways shall be elevated. Surely these shall come from afar. Look, those from the north and the west, and those from the land of Sinim. Sing, O heavens. Be joyful, O earth. And break out in singing, O mountains. For the Lord has comforted his people and will have mercy on his afflicted. Here ends this reading from God's holy word. Our New Testament reading this morning. It's from the Gospel according to Luke, in the second chapter, beginning at verse 18 and continuing to verse 25. Well, we'll just skip right ahead and call it 21 to 32 instead. See, I told you I could change it up, Mark. Hmm? After eight days had passed, it was time to circumcise the child Jesus, and he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. When the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male shall be designated as holy to the Lord. And they offered a sacrifice according to what is stated in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, looking forward to the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit rested on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Guided by the Spirit, Simeon came into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what was customary under the law, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God. 
saying, Master, now you are dismissing your servant in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all the peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Here ends this reading from God's holy word. I find this inclusion of the story of Jesus' presentation in the temple fascinating in at least a couple of ways. First off, it appears here. Now this is a rather unlikely place in the gospel according to Luke. But biblical scholars have pretty high confidence that the author of this gospel, who was also believed to have written the book of Acts, was neither a historian, nor a theologian, nor even a Jew. They think he was a scientist, a physician of the Gentiles, hardly the sort of fellow one would expect to take note of a childhood ritual that was prescribed by Hebrew religious law. But Luke's gospel is indeed where we find it, and nowhere else in any of what might be described as the three Jewish gospels. And when the story is told, Luke doesn't tell it in a, in a dragnet sort of fashion, a la Detective Joe Friday, dispassionately seeking and reporting just the facts. Rather, what we get here is a beautifully personal story involving interactions between extended kinfolk who have never before been introduced to one another but who were brought together on account of the gift of Jesus. The Levitical Code called for a timetable and a ritual offering for the mothers of newborns to follow. When the days of her purification are completed, it is recorded in Leviticus, whether for a son or for a daughter, she shall bring to the priest at the entrance of the tent of meeting a lamb in its first year for a burnt offering and a pigeon or a turtle dove for a sin offering. And he shall offer it before the Lord and make atonement on her behalf. Then she shall be clean from her flow of blood. This is the law for her who bears a child, male or female. If she cannot afford a sheep, she shall take two turtle doves or two pigeons, one for a burnt offering and the other for a sin offering, and the priest shall make atonement on her behalf, and she shall be clean. Mary and Joseph, Jesus' mother and earthly father, had come for her postnatal ritual purification and also to present their son for the Hebrew rite of circumcision and naming. Henceforth, he was to be called Jesus, the name that the angel had told him that he was to receive. Though this was his given name, this Son of God and Son of Man was also known or called many other things in fulfillment of a variety of prophecies. Emmanuel, Wonderful Counselor, Prince of Peace, and Israel's hope and consolation were just a few. 
These were all traits that existed in, but were impossible to see within this infant son of Mary. She and Joseph knew that their baby was special, certainly, but it was only through the power and the revelation of the Holy Spirit that they had been made privy to this knowledge. And it was through this very same agency that Simeon had been given spiritual eyes to see that which his mortal aging eyes would otherwise not have been able to see. Last Sunday, you may recall, I spoke about the fact that Noah had been the only person in the annals of the Old Testament to have been introduced to us using the descriptive phrase, a righteous man. Well, this week, here in the New Testament, we are once again introduced to someone in those very same terms, this highly unusual fashion. Simeon, the text says, was a righteous man and devout. Now that's a trait which is here used to describe his faith in the fulfillment of the promises of God. Not only has he, like the rest of the Hebrew people, inherited covenantal promises that he shared with the people of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And they had the words of the prophets for generations that had been making promises to them through the agency of the Holy Spirit. But Simeon also has been given a gift by that same Holy Spirit of secret spiritual knowledge. The secret was conveyed to Simeon that not only was this great day that had been promised from of old a coming, but he himself was going to live to see that day. He was going to see the day when the Messiah, the promised deliverer of the people of Israel, would finally appear. In our Advent carol, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus, we sing of the hope of the coming of Israel's hope and consolation. That's precisely the extended Advent season in which Simeon and his brothers and sisters of the Hebrew faith had been living in for centuries. They were awaiting and they were expectant and they were biding their time until God would send a Messiah to fulfill their hopes, to bring them great consolation. And here, Simeon sees with his own eyes that the Messiah has come. And we just celebrated this wondrous miracle again this year. And yet, it seems as if the world continues to be blind. That the world continues to need this consolation as we find ourselves on this last Sunday in 2020 in the grip of much disconsolation. The world and our country is far from at peace. In addition to the garden variety, 
mass shootings, bombings, political bad-mouthing and gridlock. This has been the year of the coronavirus. My sense is that this great pandemic is more than just a physical disease. In those it has infected, it has caused suffering, some mild, some severe, and some leading up to death. But even in those who have not experienced the symptoms of the virus attacking their own bodies, the virus has been at work spreading dis-ease. The good news is that there is not only one now, but two vaccines which have received emergency approval by our government and which are even now beginning to be distributed and doled out. The bad news is that scientists have discovered that there are at least two more recent variants of the virus which have recently sprung up, and there will likely be more than that, and these seem to be even more highly transmissible than the previous iteration. Reports concerning these emerging variants as well as the projected rate of efficacy of the current vaccines and the increased estimates now of the population who will have to receive them in order to achieve what they call herd immunity are all combining to produce in so many these feelings of dis-ease. Outside the church and even within the continuously repeated scriptural refrain of fear not has fallen on ears that will not hear, and so many have put their lives, their physical, their mental, their spiritual lives on hold, that they have been consumed by the wages of this virus. And that is, my friends, just the way the enemy wants it. In the screw tape letters, C.S. Lewis imagines a devil writing advice to his nephew who is training for a similar position. And Screwtape advocates the stoking of anxiety in his human subjects as a means of loosening the power of God's power in and on them. He writes, We want him to be in the maximum uncertainty so that his mind will be filled with contradictory pictures of the future, every one of which arouses hope or fear, there is nothing like suspense and anxiety for barricading a human's mind against God, the enemy. He wants men to be concerned with what they do. Our business is to keep them thinking about what will happen to them. By contrast to such convoluting fear as this, our gospel reading for today describes Simeon's righteousness and devotion to God as manifesting itself in trust in the word of God. That trust was rewarded as he comes face to face with the word of God in flesh now appearing. The boy Jesus, the one whom we would come to call in fulfillment of prophecy, the Messiah. In seeing God's Christmas gift to the world, Simeon was satisfied. This present provided him a sought-after and a completely fulfilling peace. He could wish for no more. That was enough for Simeon to receive. 
satisfied by this event more than by anything else under heaven or on earth. He's now ready for anything. He declares sickness, disability, old age, even death itself. All these are secondary and none can take from him the safety, the security, the comfort, and the encouragement he now knows firsthand. And that is precisely the comfort which is provided by God even now. He continues to offer that comfort to his people. We, us, like Simeon, can receive it. Oh, that we should all come to know it firsthand. And God makes it even more accessible to us today than it was for one man 2,000 years ago. Yes, he had been on watch since the Holy Spirit had spoken to him and pledged that one day he would see the Messiah. Well, maybe that pledge came to him the week before, or maybe it came to him the year before, or maybe it came to him the decade before, or maybe it came to him a lifetime before. However long it had been, faithful Simeon waited on the promises of God to be fulfilled. But we don't have to wait. Not even a moment to see the same thing. For love has come in a Bethlehem manger. Love has come to be presented in the temple and be baptized in the Jordan. Love has come to die for us on Calvary's cross. And be raised for us, leaving behind an empty tomb. This remains the joy, the peace, the hope, the comfort and the consolation of Jesus for his church and for the world. And for that, we can truly say thanks be to God and amen.